0: Our text this morning is from Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. So if you have your Bibles, turn there. Um, You probably have a physical Bible at home, so would you please grab it? I think that would be really cool as well. Um, Physical Bible notes, all that stuff, verse uh, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame, or some of your translations say, disappoint Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through this Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is God's word. Let's pray. Thank you for these words, Lord. These words we need right now. That somehow in our collective global suffering, that you would bring about in your church and with your people a hope fortified through our perseverance and our character. Would you bring us hope? And this happens as you pour your spirit out abroad in our hearts to remind us and show us that you love us. Do that now, all over the place, by the power of your spirit. Pour out your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today I want to talk about hope and how for the Christian, for hope to mature in a Christian, for hope to develop a follower of jesus for hope to take root in our lives christian hope needs pressure it needs trials hope needs suffering you heard that right for hope to take root and develop in your life suffering is required different forms of suffering when gone through correctly it says producing us a perseverance and perseverance produces in us character, and character will result in hope. And this hope that suffering creates in us is a kind of hope that does not disappoint. Now, how does this work? This last week, I took to Instagram, and I asked uh, people um, how you've been renewing your hope during this time of quarantine. Where do you find your hope? How are you renewing your hope? And I got a lot of answers, and it was really helpful for me to, just to hear some feedback about how people are doing and how their hope is going. And one thing that stood out among all the different great answers that I was receiving, and the thing was this that stood out to me, hope needs an object. People wrote in about things they're doing to garner hope, like serve or pray or write. Other people wrote in about things they're looking forward to for hope. The things they're hoping in, like when shelter lifts, the things they're hoping in. I was at dinner the other night at home, of course, and I was telling Ashley about this podcast idea that I have about asking a few friends to do meditations on hope. And Ashley asked uh, the the question, she's like, what do you mean, hope in what? What what, what are you saying? What are you asking for? Like, are, are they hope, like what they're hoping in, during shelter? Or what they are hoping in after? Or what what do you mean by hope? And I thought that was a really fair and good question. See, when we talk about hope, hope always needs an object, something that hope latches onto, something it could fix itself on. Now, I, I started to think, what is the object, what's the main object of our culture's hope? What is our object, Christian or not Christian, what is the hope of our nation? What is the hope of our uh, our culture? Many of us, for a lot of us, who are in this culture, the object of our hope is often happiness. If we were to really boil it down, we want to be happy. This is written in the founding documents of our country. The Declaration of Independence says, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, what is happiness? Happiness. Happiness is getting control of your life so that you keep your circumstances favorable. It's making for yourself a good life, doing the things you have to do, doing the things you must do in this life so that you could make your circumstances favorable. Now, if we were to uncover our true source of hope, not only as a society, but as individuals who live in this society, Christian or not, this might be the real object of our hope. It's getting control of our lives. Our rights, our freedoms, so that the circumstances of my life are good and pleasurable and favorable and happy. This is why, in our cultural framework, suffering doesn't fit in the paradigm of hope. We live in a society that really wants to avoid pain at all costs. Timothy Keller, in his great book on suffering, says that most cultures around the world and throughout history, especially the major ones, have always provided answers to the question of what is the purpose of human life. He says this, quote, Other cultures have provided its members with various answers to the question, what is the purpose of human life? Some cultures have said it is to live a good life, and so to eventually escape the cycle of karma and reincarnation and be liberated into eternal bliss. Some have said it is enlightenment, the recognition of oneness of all things and the attainment of tranquility, Others have said it is to live a life of virtue, of nobility and honor. There are those who teach that ultimate purpose in life is to go to heaven to be with your loved ones and with God forever. The crucial commonality is this. Every one of those worldviews, suffering can, despite its painfulness, be an important means of actually achieving your purpose in life. It can play a pivotal role in propelling you toward all the most important goals. One could say that in each of of these other cultural grand narratives, what human life is all about, suffering can be an uh, an important chapter or part of that story. And he goes on to say this, But modern Western culture is different. In the secular view, this material world is all there is. And so the meaning of life is to have the freedom to choose the life that makes you most happy or the pursuit of happiness. However, in that view of things, suffering can have no meaningful part. It is a complete interruption of your life story. It cannot be a meaningful part of the story. In this approach to life, suffering should be avoided at almost any cost or minimized to the greatest degree possible." End quote. For many of us in Western society, we have been taught, shaped, and indoctrinated by the idea that the highest purpose of life is individual happiness. It's comfort and personal freedom. And this is why suffering doesn't fit into our paradigm of hope. This is why I think that our hope has actually been hijacked. It's been hijacked by planning and optimism. Now, I spoke about optimism last Sunday. Let me talk about planning. Planning has replaced hope in our culture. We don't hope anymore. We plan. A friend of mine gave me a lecture by Eugene Peterson a couple weeks ago on hope. And he said in this lecture, the difference between hoping and planning is planning is working out of our past and present and moving that into the future, trying to control the future or trying to anticipate it so you're ready for it. Now there's nothing wrong with planning. We all have to plan and all over the Bible there's wisdom literature that 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 it tells us that wise people plan well. But we can't confuse hope with planning. With planning, you know what that is. You know what you're planning for. You're moving your vision of the past and the present into the future. You're trying to anticipate it. You're trying to be ready for it. So you take your skills and your money and your knowledge and you base the future on that. That's not hope. That's planning. For example, I'm planning on going to Hawaii this summer, but it's probably not going to happen. And so if my, if I confuse hope and planning, when that thing gets canceled, all my hope is gone. See, this is what we've done. We've replaced hope with planning. We're like, I'm planning on taking my money and my, uh, kind of my, my board shorts and my suitcases, and I'm gonna get on lift and go to the airport, and the airport's gonna take me to Hawaii, and I'm gonna get off, and I have it all planned and where we're gonna stay, and I've done that through my planning, I've done that through my money, I've done that through kind of the, the, the network of things I put together. That's, my, that's a vision of my future, and now that's not coming true. And so hope is something completely different. Theological hope is different in that it doesn't move your vision into the future, it actually anticipates God's action for the future. Now that might be a really lofty idea. How does that work? How does that mean like I'm not moving my vision but it's actually God's action that anticipates the future? That's what hope is. How does that work out? Well, my daughter and I have a show that we're currently watching together. We're on season two right now and it's taking a while to get through. It's called Daniel Tiger. And if you don't know, if you don't have kids, Daniel Tiger is a character from Mr. Rogers that got his own animated spin-off that might be as good as the original, just saying. Anyway, at the end of every episode, Daniel Tiger sits down like Mr. Rogers used to do. And he takes off his little animated shoes in the entryway, and he sings the song that Mr. Rogers sang at the end of his show. But it's a little bit different than the original. It's such a good feeling, if you know that song, it's such a good feeling to play with family and friends, it's such a good feeling when they lend you a hand. And it's it's a little bit different than Mr. Rogers, but the ending is exactly the same. It's such a good feeling, a very good feeling, a feeling you know that I'll be back when the day is new. When that, I'm singing this with, with Juniper, and when that line comes on every single time, I can't sing it. Like, my throat catches, and my heart swells and I start crying. I like get teary and I grab Junie and I hold her and I usually bring her into the kitchen and I'm like, I can't do it. I can't sing the rest of the song. It's it's just too much, it's so emotional. The song goes like this, I'll be back when the day is new and I'll have more ideas for you and you'll have things you wanna talk about and I will too. Now I can't, the reason why I can't sing that without crying, and I'm so thankful that I can sing it right now without crying, because this morning when I was reading over this, I was weeping while I was reading this, is because that moment at the end of Daniel Tiger is so full of hope. The end of Mr. Rogers, it was so full of hope. Mr. Rogers is ending his show by saying, I will see you when the day is new, not just tomorrow, but ultimately when the day is new, I will see you. And it's full of so much hope that my chest feels like it's going to explode. So I think of Daniel Tiger as being a loving creation of Mr. Rogers, who's really ultimately singing that to us, that Mr. Rogers, though he's dead, he will be back when the day is new. But I actually see through him and see Christ, and how it's really Jesus singing that he'll be back when the day is renewed, and how I'll have things that I want to talk about with him, and he'll have things that he wants to talk about with me. And this is the Christian hope, that one day Christ will return. This is the ultimate Christian hope that Christ will return with healing in his wings and he'll wipe away every single one of our tears and that one day he'll make the day new and that God will get what God wants for his world and he will redeem and restore everything. This is the Christian hope. Now the fancy theological word for this is eschatology and the difference between that and planning is I can't make that happen. I can't make Jesus come back. I can't make the world new like he can. I can't even plan it. I can only hope for it. I can only hope in God, and I can anticipate God's action in Christ to make that day happen. But hope is not just about the future, you see. Theological hope must work its way into our present because hope has to do with the, the future, but it also fills our present with energy. It connects us to the promises and the character of God. Hope injects the presence with the purposes of God. Like we said last week, biblical hope is a vision that, of life that guides itself by faith in God's promise, irrespective of whether the situation looks optimistic or pessimistic at any given time. This is exactly what Romans 5 is trying to tell us. Verse 2, And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Now, I understand that a lot of Romans is written in very thick theological language, but what he means is that because of what Christ has done, you know, verse 1, we have peace with God and we're justified by faith, we who are Christians, we have a confident joy in the future that God will bring when he, when His glory fills the earth and He restores all things. It's a confident joy that everything sad will become untrue, that eternal winter will break and spring will have the final word. Or in the words of Chance the Rapper in his unreleased song that he performed on Colbert and promised that would be on his new album but wasn't, so much for hoping, just saying, He says this in the song, he says the day is coming, knees bowed, tongues confessing, the last one is getting first dibs on blessing, and that day is on its way, it couldn't wait no more, and then Daniel Caesar sings in the background, here it comes, here it comes, ready or not, here it comes, the day is on its way, it couldn't wait no more, here it comes. When Paul says in Romans that we boast in the hope of the glory of God, he's saying what chance is singing. That we have this steady, confident joy that that great day is coming. And we hope in that coming day. And it fills our present, no matter what we're living through, with confident, even stubborn joy. This hope, that vision of life that guides itself by faith in God's promise, irrespective of whether the situation looks optimistic or pessimistic at any given time, that is the hope of the glory of God. Do you see that? That's the way verse two works, which is why he's able to say what comes next in verse three. Not only that, but because we have hope in God's future, we can go through present trials and tribulations, sufferings and pains in this life rejoicing. Okay, this might be really cool for a song or a motivational quote, but how in the heck does this work? What does this mean, that we can go through our present sufferings rejoicing? First notice, it's not rejoicing for our sufferings. That's weird. You don't rejoice for your sufferings. You don't like go through sufferings like, thank you, God, for the suffering. No, you rejoice in your sufferings. There's a big difference there. Not for, in. We don't rejoice that we go through suffering or pain or loss. We actually mourn it. We lament it. We can even be angry over our sufferings, our pain, our loss, but we do all of that with hope. See, proper theological hope means we can go through present pain and suffering still feeling the full weight of pain and lament and even anger, but with a deep-seated joy that God is with us and that God is at work and that ultimately God will work all things together together for our good and his glory. Now, I don't want you to hear from this verse that God caused this to teach us a lesson. I don't want you to hear that. I don't want you to hear like, well then you're saying that God caused this global pandemic to all teach us a lesson. No, no, no. That's that, that doesn't that's not what the text is saying at all. Actually, the text is saying the opposite of that. The word for suffering in verse 3 also translated affliction or tribulation. This word is denoting the pressures and the troubles that are the result of this present evil age. Which means they are the result of being in the world that is still broken and disintegrated. So when trouble happens, it actually is a clash of two kingdoms. It's the clash of God's kingdom and this in this age that we're living in. It actually shows the already not yetness of the kingdom of God. It actually shows that we still live in a world that's fallen and broken and Christ has not fully redeemed the world yet. This means everyone goes, this is not, these present sufferings, typically when the New Testament talks about sufferings, it has in its focus the kinds of sufferings that Christians go through for being Christians. But that's not here in Romans. Romans is the kind of suffering that every human goes through, that we all go through just by being human, Christian or not. So basically, what we're all going through right now. There is a common suffering with this global pandemic, but there is a sense in which for followers of Jesus, this common suffering can garner in us a greater hope, a more fixed hope. How does that happen? Paul says that suffering produces perseverance. That is, when we undergo troubles or tribulations, they have a way of strengthening us, giving us perspective and making us tough. And perseverance produces in us character. That is, after one endures many of life's difficulties, a strength of character develops that was not present previously. And then character produces in us a hope. So how does this work? Well, here's, a, um, here's an illustration. Uh, that, I don't know if it lands or not, but hopefully it makes sense to you. Um, For me, writing sermons is actually really hard. Preaching sermons is not my favorite thing to do. Writing them is even less my favorite thing to do. I love praying and studying for sermons, but writing them is really hard. It takes about, for me, it takes about 15 to 20 hours to write a single sermon every week. And for me, for the first several years of doing this, over and over again in our church, I became hopeless at times. When I got hopeless, I felt doomed. I felt like I was trying to write something that wasn't coming. I was trying to put to to paper something that God was stirring, but it wasn't happening. And so I would start to almost shrink physically. I would hope that my sermon was done on Thursday or Friday, but it wasn't done, honestly, until Sunday morning at like 8.30 a.m., And this was years of doing this. I would write my sermon on Sundays. And the cycle, as it repeated itself week after week and year after year, wore on me to where I started telling myself a story that I can't do this anymore. So the pressure of sermon writing was like getting to me. And so I met with my coach that I was working with at the time and he sat me down and he had this whiteboard and he said, I want you to write everything that you're telling yourself as you approach sermon writing every single week. What do you tell yourself at the beginning? What do you tell yourself at the end? Final hour? What do you tell yourself? Fill it in. Of course, I'm like, I'm not good at this. I, it takes too long for me to write a sermon. I don't like this. This is not fun. I mean, I would write down all the things I was telling myself. And they said, okay, I want to ask you a series of questions. And I want you to be honest. Have you ever not had a sermon on Sunday? I said, no, I've had one every single time. Okay. Have you ever felt like God has left you and wasn't there using your bumbling words? Like, no. Every single time I feel like God has shown up. He said, so then why do you keep telling yourself those stories? Wouldn't it be more true to say that God has never left you? Wouldn't it be more true to say that God always gives you something to say? And even when you don't say it the exact way you wanted to say it, God somehow uses it anyway. Wouldn't that be more true to say? And from that moment on, I had hope. I had a real hope. A hope in God's promise that in God's character and the reality of God's work and in through my half bake sermons, even when they don't come together, even in the final hour when they don't feel like they're hitting all the right notes. And I have hope. Like, I actually approach them going, I know God will show up. I know God will do this. And I have this hope in God. And this is the way hope works through a ton of pressure and years of building up perseverance and some character along the way, it has turned for me into hope. But here's the thing. What my coach taught me and what I wanna teach you right now is that you have to choose to rejoice in hope when you go through sufferings, when you go through pressure, when you go through whatever it is, even though the illustration was kinda silly, whatever. You have to choose it. There is a sense in which I had to choose to see it that way. Thomas Merton, Once said that suffering, merely accepted, does nothing for our souls except perhaps to harden them. He says if we just accept suffering and say, well, that's just the way life is. Life is hard. We think and we have heard that that sort of view of things will harden our skin and make us tough. But it would actually just harden our souls and make us indifferent. Suffering, merely accepted, can dehumanize us. It can turn us into animals. Merton says that it's not mere endurance or self-denial that makes suffering and pain good for us in the way God wants it to be good for us, but it's actually the testing that suffering produces which brings with it the opportunity for us to turn to God. It's the invitation to turn to God in the midst of suffering to see how he's building in us perseverance, character, and hope. It's actually inviting God into it, saying, God, show me, how, what are, you, how are you working? How am I choosing to rejoice right now in the midst of it? Because I know you're going to do something through it, even though you didn't cause it to happen. But here's the question. What if we find right now that we are disappointed? That we are disappointed with life, they are disappointed, maybe even with God. Verse 5 says that this hope does not disappoint. But what if it does? What if you're finding I did hope in something and I'm disappointed? Right now I'm disappointed. I had hoped in something. I thought I was hoping in the Lord. I was hoping in God for something. But I'm disappointed. The verse says this hope does not disappoint. What do I do with that? The simple answer is maybe you've hoped wrongly. And I don't mean to be insensitive there. I, I, want, I want you to, to honestly consider that. I want to say this with most, the, the most, in the most gentle way I can. Maybe you've hoped wrongly. You may have hoped in something that God wants to disillusion in you. Disillusion is a freeing or being freed from an illusion. And it's a horrible feeling at first when you're disillusioned. But what if that's some of what our suffering is about? About God meeting us in our suffering and working with our suffering to show up in our life to say, your hope is in the wrong place and I want to put it in the right place. And I can use your suffering to purify and to clarify. And you can let go of the illusion now. You can let go of the illusion now. What if suffering with hope is about allowing Jesus to take your biggest pain and your biggest disappointment and even your bitterness and allow the logic of the cross to take over? Suffering and then glory. What if that's what God is, is doing right now? Through our pain and our suffering, that what he's doing in some of us, he's building in us character right now. He's doing that through us persevering through this, staying close to him. But what if some other people who feel disappointed and even disillusioned right now, God is saying, you can let the illusion go now. That is not what I wanted your hope in. No, those are plans, those aren't hopes. Or even some of our hopes, that's hope, but that hope is not what I want your hope in. And maybe what what a, what a, what a grace what a gift from God that he would take our hopes and say, no, no, not there. I want you to place your hope here. I want you to place your hope firmly on the fact that the day will be new, that there is going to be a renewal of that day, and I want you to hope for that day. I want you to look to that day with so much joy that you can go through anything in this life and you can rejoice in the midst of it. Yeah, we'll have lament, and there's pain, and there's anguish and even toil in it, but we can go through all of that with a sense of joy. All of that with a sense of God is at work and he's working in this all. Let's pray. Lord, I pray right now for for those that are, that it's just really hard to hear this last part, that our hope isn't something that um, that's disappointing us. And that disappointment is actually disillusionment. And you're just wanting us to say, no, not here, son, daughter, not here, here. I pray as you're doing that, the, same, the, the verse 5 would still be active right now. That you would, by your spirit, pour the love of the Father, abroad in our hearts. That th- even though we're going through pain, the, the, the healing balm of your, your present active love would be there as well. That by the power of your spirit, you would pour out the love of the Father in our hearts right now. I pray our hearts are strangely warmed. I pray that we would sense your nearness. I pray that through our suffering right now, there would be a clarity that could not happen in any other way. And that you would build and garner hope. A defiant, strong, stubborn Hope in Christ. In Jesus' name.